Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to our questions and answers program every Saturday between 6 and 7 o'clock with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouz, of course Sheikh being the Imam of the Yusufiya Masjid in Weinberg. We encourage you to please SMS 47913. Alternatively, you can email info at vocfm.co.za for any of your questions for this program and we'll uh, definitely do them in subsequent or answer them in subsequent shows. I'm your host Mishka Daris and uh, Sheikh is in studio with Sheikh, assalamu alaikum to you. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Sister Mishra, how are you today? Very well, alhamdulillah. I hope Sheikh is well too. Alhamdulillah. <laughs> and salams to all our listeners as well. Wonderful. Now, Sheikh, of course, uh, let's get right into it. We've got quite a few questions today to deal with. Uh, the uh, first one being, um, this is my second marriage. Uh, my husband was not Islamic orientated. And I ask Allah to give him the ability that he must go on the straight path, inshallah. But now my stepchildren are running to the uncle saying that I'm busy with dukums. Please give me some advice here. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. It's always a, a very tricky situation when a, 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 a woman or a man gets married to a, a, a person who has family or has children of previous marriages. Mm. And there's always going to be some awkwardness and things to work out and things to uh, compromise on, etc. Um, that is something that we should always take into consideration. It's never going to be uh, just an easy road mm. to be able to bring synergy within the two families and so on. Yeah. So this is the case here whereby the stepchildren, maybe they have certain feelings towards their stepmother and so on. And these are, I think, normal. But it's how we deal with it, you know, how, how we are going to treat uh, the situation. Uh, and in this case, Alhamdulillah, I'm glad that you are saying that uh, you're making dua for your husband. Your husband is maybe not very upright at the moment, but uh, you are making dua for him. And we make dua with you that hopefully he, inshallah, will be able to get his life uh, in order and get his act together. Uh, because that is, uh, I think, the crux of the problem mm. lies actually there. Mm. Because the moment he comes onto the straight path and he learns to be a good Muslim and he serves Allah Ta'ala in his capacity as a servant and a slave of Allah, then he will also ensure that his children are in intact, you know, that they don't say things that are out, that are out of line, etc., um, and he will make sure that uh, Allah Ta'ala's laws are being upheld, you know, in the household. Because after after all, he is the leader. He should take that lead. Mm. So, um, inshallah, hopefully if that happens. But in the meantime, what can you do? I think what you should do is um, you should uh, try and, and show, you know, to your stepchildren uh, with your conduct and with your 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 character. You know that how a person can make things work. How mm. our relationships like the, like these, no matter how difficult it is, they can be synergy. They can be uh, beautiful relationships that can be forged and that can be initiated. And uh, it seems that certain claims are made against you with regards to saying that you are going to uh, soothsayers or dukums as they call it, or sangomas, whatever it may be. Uh, of course, yeah, these things uh, in certain quarters are, are rife. You know where people do actually go to these places. 
um, and, and this I hopefully is just a rumor. It's hopefully just a rumor that they are waging against you. Against you, I think what you should do is you should ignore it and not put all your attention on that what mm. they are saying, but rather put your attention on what you can do to change. You know the environment and how you can bring some positive. Uh, feelings and emotions to that particular family and like I said it's always going to be challenging it's not going to be an easy road because in a sense uh, it's not easy for them just to accept you as their stepmother and so on so those things are always going to be there and I'm sure you knew about it before you got married I mean you must have thought about it I mean if there's children I wonder how they're going to treat me and so on and so forth Um, so be patient you know Allah Ta'ala is the one that uh, changes hearts uh, changes hearts etc so be patient uh, with good conduct and akhlaq try to show them you know we don't have to live like this we can live in harmony we can uh, we can live in a situation where we at least respect each other and we care for each other and uh, whatever they are saying about you and so on don't put all your focus on that because that is just going to make you sick and it's just going to stress you out mm. you know all the all the rumors etc and if need be maybe if it gets really out of hand you can then tell the father to speak to them you know not to wage these allegations especially if right. they are not true mm. and like i say i hope i hope myself it's not true because uh, uh, something I have to mention is it's it's quite shocking to know that how many of our Muslim people actually go to these sangomas and they actually go to these soothsayers. It's actually a very sad reality that uh, many of our Muslims have become such that they, they trust is not in Allah, they trust is not in their faith, it's not in the Quran, but they pay exorbitant amount of money sometimes to go to these people. Mm. And hopefully, inshallah, like I'm saying, I hope this is not the case because it's you're saying that they are saying this about you. And I hope that is only a rumor. Uh, so hopefully, inshallah, with that advice, uh, hopefully the situation will um, will improve. And this will come through patience and perseverance and good character. And we hope everything of the best for you and your family, inshallah. I mean, shukran, Sheikh. So you can SMS 47913 for any of those questions that you may have for Sheikh Ibrahim was. The next question being, my niece is a teenager and started wearing hijab, mashallah. She asked me about the camel hump style that is now in fashion. Is it permissible, as some ladies have mentioned, that hijab is evolving? How do I answer my niece to me? It, um, how do I answer my niece? It should be simple and easy and beautiful at the same time. Shukran, Sheikh. Yeah, alhamdulillah. I think I, I would uh, sort of uh, agree with your, your last sentiments, saying that it should be simple, beautiful, and easy. Yes. And that is what hijab is. It's mm. a protection for the woman, but it's a form of beautification as well. And it shouldn't be exorbitant or it shouldn't be, you know, uh, eye-catching in a way that it causes a fitna and so on. Mm. Um, and, and, and that is a good advice that you had given to, to, to your niece. At the same time, what I want to say is that, you know, our teenagers, they are facing such a lot of difficulties out there. It is such a challenging thing for them to wear hijab in the first place. Mm. And I think if she if she hadn't been wearing the hijab and only now she's wearing it, you know, um, shouldn't be too hard on the styles that she is wearing at mm. the moment. Because hopefully, inshallah, that too will, will settle in a different way. Uh, but for now, if she's wearing after not wearing, Alhamdulillah, praise Allah for that, because at least she's, uh, it's a step in the right direction. And what is also positive is that she's coming to ask, you know, what about the camel hum? So she's interested to know and maybe she wants to do the right thing also. So um, if that is the case, then you give her advice and say that, look, there are a hadith where the Prophet Sallallahu had mentioned some of these things. You know, he said that there will be some people, there will be, رُؤُوسُهُنَّ كَأَمْثَالِ أَسْنِمَةِ الْبُخْتِ 
Al-Ma'ilah. And this was the exact words of the Prophet ﷺ, that their heads will be almost like the humps of camels, you know. Um, now, of course, there's various interpretations. What does this mean? Some had interpreted it to mean certain hairstyles are done like that, that it uh, resembles the camel, etc. Uh, other scholars have, have actually mentioned like Imam al-Nawawi himself has mentioned that, for example, that it's when people put on their head uh, material and scarves and things to make it huge, to make it big. And I think this is what, what the style is about. So Imam al-Nawawi had mentioned that that is also what the hadith refers to. Okay. So obviously as a as a cautionary, precautionary measure, you know, we shouldn't have hijabs that, like I said, that is eye-catching or that is going to defeat the purpose. Mm, mm. Because hijab is to cover you, it's to beautify you, it's to cover you, yes. Uh, but it shouldn't also be like, you know, when you hawk past someone that you face immediately turns, you know, what is that? Okay. And it shouldn't have that effect. Uh, uh. Um, so uh, while I'm, I'm, I'm not too, uh, I wouldn't be too too strict, you know, and too too harsh on somebody that's doing that, especially, like I said, if they're just wearing hijab now, we should encourage them to wear hijab first and not worry about all the different styles and all of that. But maybe at a later stage, we can tell them, it's, you know, better ways to do it simpler, mm. etc. And in, in those stages, etc. So uh, I admire this question uh, coming from a young girl wanting to know. So you give her advice like this, look, my girl, it's better not to do it. If especially if it is going to be eye catching, etc., etc., mm. right? And also, I mean, the extent of what it is. I mean, really, if it's like as high as a, you know, a bowl of fruit, you know, then obviously that would be uh, much more uh, worse than if it's just maybe a, sh- a short, like a. Now, some people think it's even if you just make a bun on your head. Mm. You know? Well, it's not like that. I mean, I surely that doesn't look like a camel's thing if it's just a bun and you're putting your scarf yep. scarf over. Right. I don't think that is what is meant. You know, it's not that serious. I mean, we shouldn't take it too seriously like that. Also, I think if it's eye catching, you know, if it's like really a high thing that can be seen from far, you know, I think that is basically what it is. If it's the uh, Eiffel Tower. Yeah, if it's like a tower, <laughs> or if it's like a bowl of fruit, or look like a watermelon, you know, or something, then maybe uh, that is what. And there's some scholars, like I said, that have interpreted completely different. Mm. They also mm. said that this doesn't even apply to that hijab, but it applies to women that have certain hairstyles like that. Okay. Okay. Which is another interpretation. I mean, mm. alhamdulillah, our scholars, you know, they've got various interpretations on these things. Mm. But as a precautionary, we don't want to also fall into something which the Prophet ﷺ at Hornabam, you know, especially if it is going to, uh, you know, uh, harm our well-being uh, in the year after and so on. We don't want to do that. But I'm very careful not to just condemn, you know, because like I say, it's a challenge out there for our girls already to wear hijab. Right. It's a challenge for them in a in a in a in a environment where hijab is frowned upon, where people don't want to wear like mm. our teenagers. Mm. They want don't want to wear. So if they are wearing now a, a hijab that is in this fashion. We shouldn't discourage that now because that will maybe make them go back to not wearing hijab at all. Right. So we have to use that kind of hikmah as well. And inshallah, hopefully Allah will guide us all and guide them as well to the truth, inshallah. When we come back from the break, if someone dies without having gone on hajj, is it permissible to use the estate to go and perform hajj on their behalf? We'll be back with questions and answers after the break. Please stay tuned. Sheikh Ibrahim is in studio and you're welcome to SMS any of your questions to 47913 and we'll answer them in subsequent programs, inshallah. We'll be back after this. Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Serial. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the Voice of the Cape.
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome to Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mus, who is in studio, who is the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. And of course, please send any of those questions to 47913. Or alternatively, if you don't have access to the SMS line, you're welcome to also email it at info at vocfm.co.za and we'll answer that in subsequent shows. So Sheikh, the next question that we've received here is if someone dies without having gone on Hajj, is it permissible to use of the estate to go and perform Hajj on their behalf? Bismillah ar-Rahman rahim If the person was in a position where the Hajj was obligatory upon the person, meaning in his lifetime he had enough money, he had the health, etc., mm. but he did not perform Hajj for whatever reason, then in such a case it's not only permissible but it's required from the family members to perform the Hajj on his behalf, even if it means they must take from the estate estate's okay. money to actually perform this hajj. And this is the view of Imam Shafi'i because he looks at it uh, taken from the ahadith where the Prophet wasallam somebody came to ask him, you know, if my parents didn't hajj, can I perform hajj on, on their behalf? And the Prophet wasallam actually made the comparison by saying that if your parents, uh, your father or mother had to have a debt, wouldn't you settle that debt on their behalf? And the person said yes. So the Prophet says, Fadainullahi ahaku an yukda. This this is also like a debt, but it's a debt that is owed to Allah. So wouldn't you also settle the debt that is owed to Allah? Okay. So Imam Shafi looks at it from that perspective that um, if if uh, the person was able to perform Hajj, he did have uh, the means, but he just didn't go for whatever reason, then in such a case, uh, uh, money must be taken from his estate as a uh, as an obligatory debt that must be settled uh, before even the inheritance and all of that. Because we know before the inheritance is actually worked out and the estate is wound up, uh, the debts are paid for before that. Right, the debts okay. are first settled before you actually do that. So Correct. this will fall under that category, and somebody can perform the Hajj on behalf of of the deceased. You know, it doesn't have to be somebody from here. It can be somebody that's even living in Saudi Arabia, because then it will okay. obviously be much cheaper, etc. And you can uh, make somebody wakil. You know, you can authorize somebody on that side to do it, uh, on condition, of course, that the person who's going to do this Hajj on behalf of the deceased perform their own Hajj already. This is a condition. You can't perform Hajj for someone else if you did not perform your own Hajj. Yet, okay. okay, and there's many ahadith that, that speak in this line, so this is permissible, and indeed it should be done according to the view of Imam Shafi'i. In the view of the Hanafi Madhab, they say again, no, it, it will only be done if the deceased actually stipulated this in his will. He actually wrote it down to say that somebody must perform Hajj on behalf of me. Okay. If he actually stipulated that, then you will do it. If mm. not, then you won't do it. They will just take it as something that he uh, had to do, and no one else can do it on his behalf unless he authorized them. Okay. okay. This is how they look at it. Um, Shafi says, no, that this uh, doesn't have to be. Uh, it's, it's a debt that must be settled. So money can be taken from the estate okay. to perform the hajj. Sheikh, you mentioned something that if he was by the means to do mm. that. So if he wasn't by the means to do then it, of then... Of course, if he wasn't by the means of doing it, then it was never obligatory upon him. Right. But if someone wanted uh, to do it uh, on his behalf, you know, by their own self, by their, by, by their own self, you know, mm. they can do that. You know, in this case, it's not from the estate and all of that because he was never by the means. Mm. And I suppose if he died like that, then it means he was never by the means. His estate also won't be that big because otherwise, you know, you could have gone. Exactly. If you had the money so that means that uh, a family member if they wanted to do it on his behalf out of out of their own selves they can do that it's nothing Correct. wrong to do it on his behalf but it will not be obligatory it will not be a requirement as such yeah. wonderful Sheikh Shukran the SMS line is 47913 so please send through those questions next question Sheikh also pertaining inheritance I have a sibling um, and 
or rather can a sibling inherit when she went out of the fold of Islam? It's really confusing. Please advise. No, of course, there's no confusion in this question. In this case, uh, we mentioned in previous uh, programs that uh, if there is a difference in faith, difference in religion, then inheritance won't uh, transpire. There will be no succession or no inheritance between people that are uh, biological family, but they are share different faiths. Mm. So in this case, uh, your sibling will not inherit per se. But again, you are able to obviously uh, write a wasiyah, you know, if you wanted to do that um, in this case. But as per the usual share that is mentioned in the Quran, this will not go to any uh, person that shares a different faith. And there's a hadith on this. The Prophet said, La yarithul muslimul kafir wa kafir al-muslim. That a Muslim will not inherit from a non-Muslim and a non-Muslim will not inherit from a Muslim. As clear as that. And the scholars have all concurred on this, that they, they must share the same faith if uh, one is going to inherit from the other. Uh, however, if they share different faiths, then of course a wasiyah can be written, like I said, and the maximum for wasiyah is one-third, nothing more than one-third. So if a person wanted to do that, he may do that as well, inshallah. Wonderful. Sheikh, next question. With technology advancements, uh, the Quran is now also available on smartphones and tablets, etc. What's the opinion when one has to go to the toilet with it? Yeah, in this case, obviously, we will treat it with the respect that uh, that is required. So if the screen is on the Quran, for example, then you're not allowed to go like that in the toilet while the screen is with the Quran on it. Right. However, if you switch that screen off and it's on another screen or it's in the background or it's in one of your files, then obviously that's different because now it's not the Quran that's exposed as such in the toilet. So in other words, what I'm saying is it's not a requirement for you when you go to the toilet to take your phone out and to leave it outside mm. and then go in. Mm. Right. Because if that is the case, then much more phones will get stolen, you know, people that go in the toilet and public toilets and mm. other people coming. So there's no, you don't have to worry about the thing being in a file somewhere on your phone. Right. Okay. It's in your pocket. It's in a file somewhere. No problem. Uh. But what will be a problem is, let's say you, you've been reciting Quran mm. and it's on the screen where the Quran is showing. Mm. And so you want to go to the toilet like that while it is on that screen. And obviously that would be disrespectful. That would not be suitable. So in that case, you either close the phone. Or you leave it by someone and then you go into the bathroom and come out again. Right. Okay, And that goes for iPads, that goes for everything else. And uh, even I can take it to, 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 to another uh, extreme as well. If a person even has a Quran on him, mathalan, mm. Quran, actual Quran, and there's no one else that can keep it for him or uh, the place where to put it, there's no way to put it as well. There's maybe filth or dirt or whatever. Then in that case, even you can keep your Quran in your pocket and close it up because it's not open. Okay. You know, close it up in your pocket and go in. Although that is makru, that will be disliked if there is another option. But if there's no option, what can you do? Mm. You know, as long as, as it is not opened in the toilet, mm. as long as you're not going to use it in the toilet like that. So the same will go for the phones and the tablets and all of those things, inshallah. Wonderful. Sheikh, the last question before our ad break. I read on my way, or rather I read on my way to work certain surahs like Dua Jamilan or Jamila, sorry, they have Arabic writing including the meaning of it. Um, I leave home with hudu but at times I break it and I continue reading. If I break my hudu, oh, ah, sorry, let me do that one over. Sorry, Sheikh, mouth. Okay, I read on my way back to work, uh, or rather, I read on my way to work certain surahs like Dua Jamila, etc. They have Arabic writing including the meaning in it. I leave home with hudu, but at times I break it. Can I continue reading if I break my hudu or not? Please advise. 
Yeah, alhamdulillah, with regards to you uh, taking hudu before leaving home, alhamdulillah, this is a good practice. And it's uh, recommended actually to, to have hudu at all times if a person can. You know, hudu, you know, being in a state of hudu, it puts you in a certain state of spirituality, it puts you in a state of consciousness if you have hudu. And it's also a, 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 a protection for a person. Uh, but the actual question here is if a person has a kitab that he's reading from or she's reading from, mm. uh, do they need hudu? The answer is no. Hudu is only needed for the recital of Quran, only for the touching and the recital of Quran. In fact, not even for the recital, but the touching and the carrying of the Quran, you need hudu. Okay. okay? Uh, but anything else, whether it be a booklet with uh, hadith in them, whether it be a booklet with fiqh rules in it, and it's written in Arabic, whether it be duas, as the question is stating here, you don't need hudu to touch it. So if you're sitting in the train, you're sitting anywhere, you don't need hudu. You can take your kitab and read from there, right? The only thing that you need hudu for is, for touching and carrying, is the Qur'an, the actual printed copy of the Qur'an. That is where you need hudu for. So uh, inshallah, if you're reading your dua jamila, whatever duas you are reading in the mornings, continue reading them while you are in the train, etc. On transport, taking transport, continue reading them. Even if you don't have hudu, there is no problem in that whatsoever. Like I said, more extreme than that, even if you were to carry a book that is full of hadith of the mm. Prophet Sallallahu then even that you don't need hudu for. Okay. And that shows the greatness of the Quran. Mm. It's only the Quran, only the word of Allah that needs that particular uh, respect and that particular um, interaction that we have to have hudu when we touch the Quran. Anything else, even hadith, even fiqh, although scholars would say it is recommended, it is sunnah to have hudu when you touch these things as well, but it's not a must, it's not a compulsory for you to have hudu for anything besides the kalam of Allah Ta'ala. Wonderful. Sheikh, shukran so much for that. We'll take an ad break now. When we come back, inshallah, we'll continue our discussion. Of course, we're looking at our questions and answers segment. You're welcome to SMS 47913 and we'll take those questions um, uh, after the break, inshallah. Stay tuned. The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM Stereo. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the Voice of the Cape. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to our program, Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Was, uh, the Imam of the Yusufiyah Masjid in Weinberg. Please send us your questions on 47913. So, Sheikh, next question. I heard making salah on your clothes is not permissible, but I saw somebody continuously making sujood on his big red check scarf, which he has on his head. Is this allowed? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Uh, I think the... the Concern is when a person is making salah on something that actually moves while he is moving. And this is what the scholars have mentioned, especially our Shafi'i Madhab. Um, you are not allowed to make sujood on something that actually moves alongside with you while you are moving. Meaning like a loose scarf, a loose uh, piece of jacket, a loose uh, jacket. Um, so you're not allowed to make sujood on that. You must make salah on something which remains permanently on the floor. Okay. Okay. And your head must actually touch that which is on the floor. Okay, it doesn't have to be the bare floor, it can be a carpet, whatever it is, but anything that moves with you. So if this person took off his scarf, for example, mm. just giving a scenario, he took off his scarf that you're talking about, and he actually laid it down, and he then made sujood on there, that's perfectly fine. And the same will go for a jacket, for a, any, any part of your clothing, if you actually take them off, 
and you put them on the floor and then you make sujood on them, that will be perfectly fine. Mm. However, if a person has the scarf around his neck, for example, mm. and it's something which is a loose piece of clothing, and each time he goes down, he puts it on the ground and then makes sujood like that. Right? Okay. So when he goes down, he doesn't want to throw his whole scarf there, but he just puts the scarf there and he puts his head on the scarf. Okay. That will not be permissible. Okay, that will not be permissible because, like I said, sujood must be made on uh, something which is permanently there or that doesn't move with your movement. Mm. And this is something which the Shafi'i scholars have pointed out. Um, and, of course, with the sujood itself, the, the forehead must be uncovered, for example, which is also a point which uh, some people don't uh, take too seriously or don't know about. Your forehead must be uncovered at all times when you make sujood. Okay, the forehead must not be covered with a scarf or with a cloth mm. or whatever the case may be. It must go onto the ground and it must touch the ground, you know, not the bare ground again. Mm. It can be the carpet, it can mm. be your scarf laying on the ground, whatever it is. But your head must be making contact mm. with whatever is on the ground and not be uh, obscured. And sometimes what happens is people wear the beanies or the caps in the winter and it goes over their foreheads mm. and they make sujood just like that. Mm. Uh, that is not valid, it's not correct. Okay. They have to open up the forehead and that is the only part of all the limbs that have to be exposed when you make your sujood. As for all the other parts like your hands, your feet, etc., it doesn't have to be exposed. Mm. Can we socks, you can we gloves, no problem. That will not invalidate. But the uh, forehead is an absolute must to be exposed and to be open uh, in that case. And just to repeat the, the actual answer to this question, if it's a loose piece of cloth or, or, or scarf, as she says, that is around the person's neck and he goes down and makes sujood on that, that will not be permissible. But if he takes the scarf off and he actually throws it on the ground permanently, right then that is fine to make sujood in that way. Also a good point that Sheikh was bringing up in terms of the scarf, because there are sometimes with the scarf for the females move forward on their head. So always a good point to, to move it to the back. Shukran for that, Sheikh. Next question is, how did the Nabi sallallahu alayhi treat his stepdaughters? Please elaborate. Yeah, alhamdulillah, we, we don't have to single out stepchildren when it comes to the Prophet sallam, treating anyone in a certain way. Because one of the amazing things about our Prophet Rasulullah sallam, was that he treated every human being and every creature of Allah Ta'ala, let alone humans, every creature of Allah, he treated them with love and compassion and respect mm. and honor and dignity. And that we find consistently in his seerah and in his sunnah. Um, we can cite numerous, numerous examples of how the Prophet sallam, treated the Bedouins that came to him. They didn't know him from a bar of soap and that spoke very ugly to him and that insulted him and that said things about him that wasn't true. Mm. But the Prophet at all times responded in a very kind way. He never scolded them. He never uh, rebuked them. He never chased them away, you know. He, but he always uh, sort of uh, cooled down the companions and said, leave him, I will deal with him. And in a beautiful way, convince people about, you know, what Islam teaches us about our character. So his stepchildren, for example, meaning the children of his wives that he married, he treated them with the, with the most beautiful of character. And he treated them as his own children mm. and he loved them and he respected them and uh, example of this is um, there's a young boy by the name of Umar ibn Abi Salama who was a stepchild of the, the Prophet Sallam, of course the, the son of Umm Salama um, and, and in the Prophet Sallam used to love him and used to sit with him and advise him and teach him just like you would teach his own children and on one occasion, uh, Umar ibn Abi Salama, he was eating in the plate and he was going with his hand all over the place, uh, etc. And the Prophet sat him down. The Prophet said, Ya Ghulam, oh my boy, Sammillah, you know, say Bismillah before you eat. Wa kul eat with your right hand. Wa kul mimma yalik, and eat that which is in front of you. Okay. Meaning, don't let your hand go all over the plate like that. Eat what is in front of you. But he did it with beauty. He didn't scold at him. Uh. He said, Ya Ghulam, now that alone, that tone, Ya Ghulam, oh my boy. 
you know, and he took it as his own son, Satya, let me tell you something. And I can give numerous, numerous examples, you know, there's one, there's one person came into the masjid. Now, of course, the question is asking about stepdaughters because I get the feeling that maybe she's a stepchild and she's being ill-treated, you know, by her family. Mm-hmm. So what we want to say is that, you know, we should treat people with respect and honor and dignity no matter who they are, mm. now, whether they're family or non-family, whether they're Muslim or non-Muslim. We always treat people with respect. And just to end off with this beautiful example, on one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ, he was sitting in the masjid and a young man came in and he actually asked the Prophet ﷺ, uh, you know, he's coming to ask whether he can commit fornication. He wants him to make halal zina, you know. Uh, imagine, I mean, if you were asked that thing, a question like that, you would get very angry. Yes. How can you dare ask me something like that? And still in the masjid. Uh. And you'd get very upset. But the Prophet ﷺ with a, with a beautiful character, you know, he sat this man down and he said to him, in a very logical way, he began to engage with him. And he said to him, eh, would you like that somebody must make zina with your mother, with your sister, you know, with your daughter? Would you like it that somebody must commit fornication with this one and that mm-hmm. one? And each time he would say, no, 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 you wouldn't like it. So the Prophet said to him, likewise, if, if you were to commit zina with someone, isn't it the mother of someone or the sister of someone or the daughter of someone or, you know, like that? And he could see the logic in, in, the, in the argument that the Prophet ﷺ was actually presenting to him. Mm. And uh, alhamdulillah, the Prophet ﷺ even made dua for this young man. Mm. You know, say, oh Allah, purify his heart, keep him away from zina. Oh Allah, make him that all his sins must be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Beautiful dua that was made for this youngster. Mm. And the, the point that I want to make is, uh, the, the narration says that when Rasulullah ﷺ was sitting there and this, po- this boy entered the mosque, he's saying in this narration that when I entered I didn't like him, you know, because I didn't like the Prophet because he was making so much laws and rules and so on. I didn't like him. But he says, when I left the masjid, you know, he was the most beloved person to my heart. Wow. So this is how he changed the, 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 the attitude of this young man. Because of the way that he dealt with him, you know. It was, wow. like I say, the character, the beauty. So when it comes to stepchildren, whether it comes to your own children, your own wife, your, you know, whatever family members, non-family members, neighbors, always treat people with dignity, with compassion, with respect. And always ask yourself, what did the Prophet do in this, in this case, you know? How did he react? And you will, under no circumstances would, would you see that the Prophet ﷺ ever reacted in a way where he was abrupt or rude or ugly or condescending or disrespectful. At all times, he was someone to show that, you know, uh, and that's what Sayyidah Aisha says, كَانَ خُلُقُهُ الْقُرْآنِ You know, his, his akhlaq was the Qur'an. Mm. His akhlaq was the Qur'an. He was the living mm. Qur'an. Mm. Whatever beautiful things Allah tells us in the Qur'an, he loved it. And so this is what we say if you are in that situation, inshallah, follow the sunnah of Rasulullah If people treat you badly, don't you reciprocate. Don't you treat them badly also. Now show them you are better. Show them you 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 a human being with dignity and you will teach them also how to have dignity. And do it in a way where hopefully they will also get lesson from it, take lesson from it. And they will also change their ways, inshallah ta'ala. Sheikh, we're going to have to leave it there for now. Uh, we have about a minute or, or, or a bit left um, uh, of this uh, segment. But let's leave it there. We'll continue the questions afterward in the next program. And, of course, the next um, segment is going to be, the first question is going to be, my wife got married without me giving her any papers um, at a, the Commission of Oath. Where do I stand? Because um, pregnant for him. I'm not quite sure. Well, we'll make out that question when we come back from the break, inshallah. Stay tuned to the voice of the The Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM stereo. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, The Voice of the Cape. 91.3 
Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to our questions and answers program with Sheikh Ibrahim Moors, the Imam of the Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg. Please SMS any of your questions to 47912 and uh, 47913 and we'll edit it and uh, or rather we will answer them in the next question or the next program inshallah. So Sheikh, the next question is, my wife got married without me giving her any papers um, at the commission of oath. Um, where do I stand? She's pregnant from him. I don't want to shake the dunya. Please advise. I don't want to badmouth her either. Yeah, it seems that there's uh, not not a, a, a lot of clarity in this question. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what this person is asking. Um, but in terms of what I can maybe make out is that perhaps uh, a, a divorce took place, but no papers were issued or nobody signed any papers with regards to divorce. Okay. Now, as far as that is concerned is we know that it's only a procedure or formal procedure to sign papers, but the divorce still takes place nonetheless. Mm. So if a, a, a husband utters the words of, words of divorce to his wife and uh, it is done in a clear way, unambiguous way, then that talaq is valid, whether this paper signed or not signed. Right, so she will have to go under idda, and once her idda is done, then obviously she can get married to someone else. Okay, right, she doesn't have to wait for papers as such. The papers is just there to make it official and mm. to kind of be as a testification of what had happened, mm. a testimony of what has happened. So, um, if that is the case, then it's fine. If she's carrying on like that, it's fine. But if you did not divorce her, now this is becomes a bit more uh, tricky. Let's say you did not divorce her at all, but she's already going to marry someone else because she's pregnant and whatever. Of course, that marriage will be completely null and void. She cannot get married to someone else while she's still married to you. Mm. You will have to divorce her, etc. So if that is the case, let's say she, she's on the verge of getting married to someone else, but she's still married to you. So what should you do now? And you say you don't want to shake the throne of Allah. Or you don't want to shake the dunya. I make out that you mean divorce because divorce means when you shake. There's a hadith that says if a person divorces then the throne of Allah shakes. Okay. So if that is the case, I would recommend that if she's on the verge of wanting to do something which is even worse than that, to get married while she's still married to you. Hmm. And there's no way of reconciling. You've tried everything and whatever it is. Then the best is to divorce her hmm. and to let her go, you know. And not to to hold on to her and not to make to spite her or to make it difficult for her, but even if that is the case, if you divorce her, she still cannot get married immediately, because she must still go under idda first, and only after the idda is done, then she can, of course, marry someone else. So if that is the case, that you did not give a divorce and she's already going to get married to someone else, and you know there's no way of reconciling then the best for you is to divorce her and mm. to let her go and advise her then that she's under idda now and she after idda, after idda is done, then she can proceed and do whatever she's done. If the person wants more clarity, maybe he can resend the question. And, uh, you know, if that wasn't sufficient as an answer, you can resend the question with some more clarity and we will gladly, inshallah, oblige to, to, to respond to it, inshallah. Wonderful. Sheikh, next question. Um, so wonderful to hear about parents. What if my parents are non-Muslim? How should I treat them? Alhamdulillah, our deen teaches us that you treat your parents with respect and honor no matter who they are and what their faith are, what their faith is. Mm. Uh, um, because they are still our parents. They are the sabab that we are in this dunya. After Allah Ta'ala, of course, they are the sabab. And uh, we find in the Quran, amazingly, when we look at uh, Surah Luqman, and in Surah Luqman, we know that Luqman, uh, Al-Hakim, was a very wise person. He gave certain advice to his son. And all the advice uh, that comes up during this uh, discussion between him and his son is the verse where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually speak about the parents. Mm. 
mm. you know, uh, because he's obviously advising his, his, his son that he must treat his parents well, etc. Mm. And what is amazing about this verse is that Allah Ta'ala takes it to the extreme because this is a question that, that came up now and it will always come up. What if they're different in faith? What if they are not Muslim? What if they're not like us? Look at what Allah says in, in, in Surah Luqman. Um, Allah says, وَإِن جَاهَدَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُشْرِكَ بِمَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمٍ فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا If they should compel you or they want you to make shirk in Allah Ta'ala, to ascribe partners, maybe they are ones that ascribe partners and they want you to do the same mm. as a child, then what should you do? فَلَا تُطِعْهُمَا You should not obey them. You should not listen to them because okay. obviously you've got your own mind you've mm. got your own intellect your own intelligence so you should know that to worship Allah to believe in one God that is what is required from you as a human being so there you won't obey them in that request okay you will simply ignore what they are saying mm. but look at what Allah says next and this is what is important immediately after this Allah says وَصَاحِبْهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا but live with them in goodness continue to be a companion to them in goodness in other words, even if they told you to make shirk, even if they want you to become an idol worshipper, mm. you don't listen to them. You still worship Allah. But that doesn't give you a right to disrespect them. <laughs> oh. That doesn't give you a right to write them off, mm. to think that they are worthless. Mm. They are still your parents. And then they will remain your parents. And say that in Asma, Asma is the daughter of Sayyidina Abu Bakr, anna, the wife of Sayyidina Abu Bakr, who is the mother of Asma, when uh, when he embraced Islam, she did not embrace Islam. She remained on the, the deen of her forefathers. And she never embraced Islam. And Sayyidatina Asma came to the Prophet said, Oh Prophet, what must I do? My mother, you know, I'm Muslim now. My father's Muslim. My brother's Muslim. But she's not. Uh. What should I do? Uh. I don't know how to handle it, you know. And then Nabi Wasallam simply said to her, Sili ummaki. Join your ties with her. Know, visit her and be like she would be in any other she's still your mother mm. and after all you know sometimes in those circumstances when we treat it in that way they see the hikmah maybe they maybe get the guidance they can see maybe you know look at the beauty of Islam and that may even change their hearts you know to want to embrace I found a lot of examples like this in fact of friends of mine that studied overseas mm. where the children become Muslim and because they see how beautiful the children treat these non-Muslim parents, the parents also become Muslim afterwards. Well, I, I've got a few examples of this in my in my mind from Australia and other places uh. of, of parents that also embraced afterwards because of the beautiful treatment they got from their children when they embraced Islam. All of the best. We hope, inshallah, that you will treat your mother well at all times. I mean, Jazakallah. Shukran so much for your time, Sheikh. Unfortunately, that does bring us to the end of this program. Sheikh Ibrahim Moos is the Imam of the Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg. Sheikh, shukran to you. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi Jazakumullah khairan to you and to all our listeners until we meet in one week's time. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Please uh, tune in for the show between Saturdays uh, 6 to 7 o'clock and of course Iono.fm has all our uh, previous pro programs as well as this one if you've missed any of the questions. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The Voice of the Cape 91.3 FM Serial. My radio station, your radio station, our radio station, the voice of the Cape. <laughs>